So today it's wonderful to catch up with Zoe. Zoe is, again, someone who's actually been in the field of digital games, art and play and for at least, or coming up for 20 odd years really, which I think she found a bit horrifying when we (laughs) mentioned it to her. Well, Zoe is a fantastic curator of really genuinely playful experiences and not just for children. So if you go and find any of her stuff online, you find these wonderful photos and videos and um, records of the festivals and things that she's done to bring people together. And they're always very witty and very original and just brilliant. Um, she's so well connected, but so unassuming. She's very, very, very well respected. Yeah. In the world of games and festivals. She's involved in huge amounts of them from Playful Art Fest to Maze Fest. She was just at um, Patch Lab at the weekend. Mm. So if you look at her website, you'll see that she's engaged in so many really interesting physical digital convergence type spaces, really. She's very much into bringing people together. Um, she enjoys that kind of magic alchemy that happens when groups of people come together who might not usually come together, which I think is something that Emma and I both appreciate too. Yeah, I was thinking back to your hack circus stuff, mm. Lena, and mm. that sort of same thing of like, if you can create a connection with people who may not ordinarily come into contact with each other, I think that assemblage, assemblage kind of way of bringing different people from very different worlds and spheres together is really exciting, isn't it? To Yes. You know, it doesn't always work, but quite often new sparks are created and it's wonderful to watch how that evolves as well people kind of become friends or create new collaborations and I really get that from Zoe as well that gives her a lot of pleasure and so you've just recently mentally and not physically necessarily been at a festival this last weekend haven't you maybe you could tell us a little bit about Patch Lab and why you were there? I wasn't physically there, but I was online there. Uh, so Patch Lab is a digital art festival in Poland, in Krakow. And uh, they invited me to do online panels about interactive arts and games. Um, so they already had a couple of people that were presented in their exhibition. Um, and I um, included those people and then invited people that uh, I thought was were interesting to the certain topics that I came up with in the sense of the uh, of the festival. So yeah, so that was uh, last weekend. And it was super nice. I always like to bring people together that haven't met each other before, but are in a kind of like a similar or opposite directions, or you know, and then. Uh, yeah, have them meet and talk. Uh, so this was a nice opportunity. I've never been to Patch Lab before. Um, and so it was, um, yeah, it was nice to be part of that. I wanted to go to Patch Lab at some point. So I had heard of it, but then they reached out to me like last, uh, I don't know, May or something, if I could do this. Um, yeah. And then uh, on Instagram, I saw all the uh, physical stuff that they were doing which also <laughs> sounds really interesting or looked really interesting 
Um, and uh, yeah, I also worked on a, a small city game actually for for the Patch Lab Festival. So it's uh, Stanislaw Lem. Uh, it was 100 years um, anniversary celebration. And so we made a small game in the city with posters at tram stops and then um, the, a small animation play with the, if they put the camera in front of it and then they could pick or they could try and find a little icon and then they had to go to five different places and then in the end they got like a little surprise and the animations were made by Ari Dykier and it was super lovely um, and yeah that was fun also just walk around the city I think <laughs> I haven't played it obviously because I'm, I'm here what I really liked about the process of making the, the the city game was actually that we had to read uh some of Stanislaw Lem um, um stories so I actually never read it so these were the star diaries that we based our, our themes on and I, I found it really uh, like fascinating and funny actually I'd laughed out so I laughed out loud so many times when I was uh, reading all the separate stories so that was really nice so yeah it's actually nice I had I could participate in this festival by you know organizing panels and then also working on, on a small game which is really nice How did I get into all of this? This is a long story, but we don't have time for that. But I, <laughs> I guess, you know, I studied university uh, digital culture, new media uh, back in the 90s, 2000s. <laughs> and um, all my interest was in video games. So I put everything into video games. And then in 2003, actually, there was a DIGRA conference, the first one. Um, games research conference and it was the first one in the world basically and brought everyone to Utrecht actually where I was studying and I was an intern there and did like a little exhibition about what was it called again game space or something and um yeah I actually didn't want to do that anymore <laughs> like exhibitions because I uh, you know, I, I'm kind of shy and I don't want to like reach out to people or call them and like, hey, can you, can we have this and this? And actually we, um, but yeah, we, it was nice to dip my toes into it. And uh, we had like Tale of Tales there and they just started back then, uh, which was really nice. And then, um, yeah, from there, I also started like teaching at the School of Arts in Utrecht and I the wrote in, in magazine like columns like a game magazine for a Belgian game magazine actually <laughs> with columns I, and then in 2008 I started working at the Dutch Game Garden in the Netherlands which is an incubator slash business center back then and uh, was supported by the government um, and yeah we we got to set up a lot of different things to stimulate the, industry, the game in the Dutch game industry basically and yeah, one of my interests or passions or whatever you call it, want to call it is bringing people together in physical space, actually. So because I feel like face-to-face -face talking is, um, yeah, brings yeah brings people together and also brings new ideas and, and stuff like that. So I, I decided to make uh, initiate uh, Indigo, which is a Dutch game showcase. So it was 
the first time like that everyone in the Netherlands could see what was actually happening with game development in the Netherlands. So it was a playable game exhibition uh, from games that were released that year or still in the making. And I wanted to have like students and um, um, and developers, indie game developers on the same level so that they would see each other's work and that that would help uh, bring the level of game development a little bit up. And I also, also already include, because I was teaching at the Utrecht School of Arts and it was called Design for Interactive Theater and Games. So I was not only interested in like game games, but or indie games, but also in the art side of games and different kinds of like interactive art and performances and all of that, because that was also what we were doing at the Utrecht School of Arts. So yeah, I brought I tried to bring everything of that together. And also in 2010, there was also a call for, hey, we want gonna do or 2009, hey, we wanna do jam in the world, like based from the Nordic game jam. And then um and that became like the it became the global game jam in 2010, not the Nordic game jam, but the <laughs> game jam that was uh, people were talking about was like and Susan Gold initiated that together with Gorm Lai and Ian Schreiber. And, and then I actually met them at GDC, I think, and I got more and more involved. And then I became executive director for the Global Game Jam at some point. I was also still teaching and also, I think, still working at the Dutch Game Garden. And yeah, so slowly <laughs> all of that came together. And then when I didn't work at the Dutch Game Garden anymore, I started uh, with a... Uh, with a friend, I started a Playful Arts Festival in 2012. And with, this is where we wanted to bring together uh, interactive performances, playful design, and actually wanted to bring people together to play, like adults, not necessarily children, but uh, adults. So, um, yeah, and slowly I also made some more exhibitions and a bunch of stuff. <laughs> started in 2003 mm -hmm. so it's it sounds like a nearly two decades oh no don't say that that's so long I was like yeah 2003 <laughs> oh no <laughs> the distance to that is still get, getting bigger and bigger so somehow <laughs> so you I, I think it's cool that you're you sort of um you started with interest in video games but your interest has changed or you've realized more that you're interested in bringing people together in the real world is that would that be right I guess when I wrote my um, master thesis it was about games obviously and I was interested in like the physical part of video games so back then the Wii wasn't a thing but like the iToy and dance 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 revolution and all of that and um all of that was a was yeah, it was a thing. And I was super interested in like the physical body and playing the game and then also going to an arcade and then see people playing that in a different way than you would have. And so that was also an interest for me. So yeah, and then it got broader and broader a little bit like what video games are, I guess. Um, and yeah, it's not only AAA, but there's also so many other things out there that are, are interesting. But yeah, bringing people together is my thing to, 
you know, festivals and events and bringing them in physical space together to either create or to experience or perform or something. Yeah, basically what a festival is, I guess. So where, where do you get your joy? I mean, to, to my mind, I love bringing people together too. So there is, we were talking about this earlier around where, what's the bit that makes you go, yeah, this is, this is just what I was hoping to create or catalyze. What, what makes you feel joyful and all of that? Hmm. I, you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting because I I think uh, whenever I bring people together, the excitement from the from the people that they meet new people and that they also have similar interests are like that's maybe from the creation side. So when I bring people together for like a masterclass or something, we for playful arts with, for example, we always try to also. For the masterclass host, we brought people together that didn't know each other beforehand, and then they had to give a masterclass on a topic that we thought would be fitting for the both of them together. And then they would, so they would have to connect and then give that masterclass, and then uh, have all this playfulness and interestingness <laughs> bloom or something. Um, and then that was would be very, yeah, that would be joyful to me that that would happen and then for if I'm thinking of play for arts festival still then um you know give people the permission to play actually and then so one person doing it and, and other people seeing it is also bringing them to do it so that's also a way to have people you know get connected and also give them something that they wouldn't do normally I guess um we had some installations or performances that would be interactive so people could join in and actually I myself am not someone who would join in but I love when I can have other people do that (laughs) um and so that and so I'll be on the sideline and taking pictures so that is also my joy taking pictures and archiving it somewhere on a hard drive somewhere <laughs> um and yeah see, and just see the joy in people's faces and something that they haven't experienced before and bring that out to them and give them the permission to do that I guess I can relate a lot to that I think sometimes well I say I put myself in the center of things in order to make things happen but I don't want to remain in the center of things I want to do that thing of observing and recognizing that that joy is being sparked for other people but once you can sort of walk backwards from it almost to go, I'm not actually needed here. So, you know, I can see photography would be great actually, because you've got your camera and you've still got a role, but you're observing with something that gives you legitimacy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I often how I went to events is just taking pictures and vines back in the day and little short videos and just be there and be part of it in a way but I don't have to actually participate (laughs) myself so sometimes people still come up to me and ask me hey yeah are you still um doing the photography I'm like yeah that's actually not what I do but yeah (laughs) I mean yes I do it but that's not my job description or whatever you call it um (laughs) so and I haven't touched a like a proper camera for the past like I don't know five years so I don't even know how to work that anymore but yeah (laughs) but to me it's very nice to be able to observe it through the lens of camera
what could you make in real life that would enhance a video game and make it um, somehow as at least as exciting and maybe offer something slightly different? And what would make a gamer leave their room and go to that thing? There is like a whole alt control scene within video games, right? Where they they make alternative controllers uh, for the, for games, or they make games and then make an alternative controller for it, or the other way around. Um, and yeah, those are more interactive arts. Robin Baumgarten makes all of these LED games, basically. But yeah, he's been also presenting his stuff in public spaces and in museums and it's it's such a an approachable thing for people to I, it was also at the VNA museum um, when the uh, design play disrupt exhibition was there was also a couple of other things like Gala Abis hit me which is uh, two helmets on your head or a helmet on your head two people and there's a button on the helmet and you have to try and press the button it's very physical bringing people together in a way um but there's many examples of yeah, alternative controllers uh, uh, Tatiana Vilela from France she's making uh, alt control games but also for Indicate she's doing together with um, Alistair Edgerton Edgerton doing a a show every other week I think about alternative controllers and have people like people that are working in that field to in- invite them to talk about it so yeah I feel if you want to bring video games in a different way to s- different spaces then that's a very approachable way I mean there is things with a couch I think where you just sit on and it has ghosts in it there is like a uh, oh and then the shake that button uh, website and that has that collects all of the alternative controller games um, for people to yeah to keep up to date with whatever is happening in there. Uh, so that contains many different examples of, of that, and I find it very interesting, especially since, uh, <laughs> like I said before, like in the early two thousands with the whole uh, arcade uh, games, where you also had these physical like instruments and and stuff like that, and I feel like this is a continuation, but then more artful sense. Uh, and a more playful, gameful sense, I guess. Do you think it's important for those things to go mainstream? Like, would it be a good thing if uh, these sort of events were massively, or these kind of alternative controllers became really commercial. I suppose like you were saying about the Nintendo Wii before, like that that kind of thing. If, if one of these art concepts really took off and became a major thing that was bought by Nintendo or something, would that be good or would that be, a, would that defeat the point of it? It wouldn't be subversive anymore. I mean, again, I think they can coexist, right? It always, maybe people will feel like it's a sellout, but then on the other hand, if more people get to enjoy it, why why not, right? And I feel like PlayStation has tried many different things as well. Um, there was like um, 
for example, it wasn't mainstream, but they, there's this game Res, which is a music uh, rhythm game, and the um, the game developer really wanted to also have another way of playing that game, and so there was like this vibrator kind of extension <laughs> for it. So, you know, there has also been. Um, or the PlayStation and the, the Wii as well, um, or the Nintendo um, uh, consoles that have been alternative controls. And I also feel like, um, you know, for accessibility reasons, it's also good to experiment more, more with those controllers because not everyone has the same abilities or capabilities of playing this. And we want you, we want everyone to play games, basically. It's ringing some kind of bell for me about something called enchanted objects. Um, I read a little bit about about four, I don't know, many years ago, five or six years ago, the idea that the public realm would once one day be a sort of live kind of, you know, could be because of smart cities and all the technologies and sensors and everything around us. You know, we would play with our public spaces, our physical spaces, much more as a seamless experience. So... At the moment, it's kind of, I think, quite a commercialised space in terms of smart, smart smart city technologies. But further down the line, the idea that we could play with our lampposts, like playable cities in Bristol, for example, but uh, inanimate objects can become playable. I mean, that feels like you're then walking around your city as if it is a, a game. So a bit like the game perhaps you've just worked on with Patch Labs. Do you think that convergence is is kind of increasing in our everyday city life? Have you seen examples of that more and more? Or I don't know if there's much space, public space in the future. I hope there is much public space that everyone can use and that we uh, can use in a playful way and see it like a game. I mean, you know, Pokemon Go and Harry Potter, um, I don't remember what the name of that was, but also the AR game uh, and Niantic, all of those. Um, games, yeah, they bring something of the game out to outside and people still play it. I mean, Pokemon Go still has updates and I still get presents in the games, apparently. So people are still playing it. Also, the few people that I have on my uh, in my thing, I actually uh, reinstalled it on my phone because of the AR, AR game that we were doing in, in the Fox Lab. <laughs> so. And then I got into it again. So and it's still people are still playing it, and there's still events happening. I was in uh, Germany a couple of weeks ago, and I saw I conquered a gym. You <laughs> and conquered like, a gym. I conquered a gym, and there were like two, <laughs> like three boys uh, sitting on a bench, and they were like, "Where? Where's this person who is attacking the gym?" <laughs> I was like, "There." Yeah, they won't know that it is me, even though I'm on my phone, but there's <laughs> too much age difference. But so that's that's really nice that I could interact with them in a way <laughs> without them knowing. So I feel like there is still opportunity for, for that, but I don't know how much of it is going to be like all the time um, and playable. And not also not it's not playable for everyone. Right, and depending on where you are, yeah, playing in public space. There is definitely a privilege to being able to play in public space, which kind of isn't afforded to everybody. And actually, I'd say that is quite tricky anyway, really, as like you talk about control and power, uh, unless you've got very deep pockets, quite often making the case for 
you know, embedding anything in the public space um, comes from the top down rather than the bottom up. So like the independent games creators probably find it quite hard to make the case for um, having more permanent digital interaction in public space, I think. But that's why it's also important that things like uh, uh, playable cities, what they're doing, um, what I should, I think. And then there's also Indicate in the US that has or actually come out and play and Indicate also put those things on for their festival so that they can inhabit a place or space for a while and then stuff happens. Um, I know um, Troy Innocent in, uh, in, in Australia is doing these AR uh, and public space things. And then also um, Jet Toprak and Helen Kwok are now doing uh, all these interesting um, in public space games um and of course also uh, with uh, um now play this in the uk um and holly Gramatio doing these interesting things so there is uh, there is room and there is uh but it's yeah it's it's bottom up and sometimes there's an institution behind it that will enable those uh, playable things but they're important i guess has anything come out of the pandemic in the play world that's uh, that's surprising? Well, I guess not surprising, but uh, you know, the whole virtual world, uh, digital spaces, where because previously, you know, you had Second Life and you had the games like World of Warcraft, and those are spaces where people would join and play the game, and then they would meet new people, and they would be in guilds, and they would be make amazing stuff, and also make money. So there's this whole world out there, and and then you've got VR, which has uh, all also these digital spaces, but they were all kind of yeah, it feels. Um, weird to say but dabbling right so it was big but not as not big and then now last you know last year and a half people had to find ways to connect with each other so all of these new things popped up that did similar things but also new things and i'm curious of what comes out of that so um Together with um, Marie and from Sick House, I did like exploration mode where we were going, where we were visiting those digital spaces, and explore them. Just also to keep a little bit of a an archive because that's also a thing that I really enjoy. <laughs> like having a little bit of an archive of what kind of spaces were there during the pandemic and what kind of spaces they were made. Like artists were making spaces for festivals and events, but then there's also this giant commercial and NFT spaces, which are like mind melting sometimes, but also super interesting. And then give people how they connect people to each other. Sometimes it's like a similar way of how it would go in physical space. And sometimes it would be in a way that he could only do in virtual space. Um, and there were parties in there and it's like super interesting to see what's happening. And then now I feel like people are going into like a little bit of a hybrid stage. Like, okay, we're still going to do some things online, but also be in physical space again. So I'm curious on how that's going to work and in connecting people and also, um, exploring these spaces and um and also for for video games i feel for me as a curator and a program uh director for as you know bringing people together 
uh, I've been doing a maze uh, for the first time in 2020, like uh, as a program curator. And it was for me, it was very rewarding to actually be able to bring people together uh, from different parts of the world. Uh, so to me, that was really interesting. And I hope to be able to keep that in a way for pre- for future years that we don't have to travel everywhere uh, to meet new people and get new new ideas. Yeah, that's really nice. A nice positive like take on the situation that's been really, really yeah. difficult as well. Yeah, it's interesting when you were saying about the the kind of the games that people have come up with, I suppose, like um, the ways that people have found to play when they haven't been able to get together. Um, we talked to Marie Fulston, who's, uh, you may have come across, she's the curator of Now Play This at the um, V&A a couple of years ago. And um, she did that, you might have seen, she did, she had like a birthday party or housewarming party or something in a spreadsheet. <laughs> Yes. So you turn up to the front. Did you go to that? I, just, I saw yeah. about it after. Did you be there? Yeah. <laughs> what was that like? It, it's actually it's funny because yeah, when when I was, it felt like a proper party or something. Also in the behaviors of people, like because there were different rooms in the Excel, different sheets basically for the Excel uh, sheets, and then people were just typing, but there was also like typing in in cells, but then felt like I cannot type anywhere because these cells are blocked or these cell is these couple of cells together are like I don't know a fridge or something, right? <laughs> so I cannot type over that. Um, and then go to a different sheet is where different people were, so you could see their names being in a different cell or something. I was like, oh no, I walked into this room and I don't know anyone. Maybe I should go to a different room. So there was this, you know, even an Excel sheet, if there's people, there's still this kind of similar behaviors or expectations. And um, yeah, so to me also, that's interesting to how could you make it convenient for people or, you know, um, familiar or also how to make it comfortable for people to be there and to get to chat, chat with people and talk to other people. And then, of course, even though no one had like physical uh, alcoholic drinks or something, but there was still this like there's this party and people have marshmallows and they grab a drink from the fridge. But it was all in different cells in the spreadsheet. So, yeah, that was that was cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. We, I mean, I, I looked at it afterwards and it's quite interesting because lots of um, obviously you're you're all anonymous as well. So you're just turning up going, do I know anyone here? I'm not sure if I know anyone. because <laughs> And then some people were sort of typing their names and deleting them. But then uh, inspired by that, a friend of mine had a, a spreadsheet birthday party, which I went to. And um, it's similar, I think, a slightly smaller scale. But um, yeah, really interesting. Like, I, I feel like it's that thing of constraints bringing out creativity in people a bit, isn't it? It's like you've only got, if you've only got the, the internet, then we have to come up with some some workarounds that are going to make it entertaining for us. Um, I like that we still have a physical world as well. Like lots of things were coming up around the actual lockdowns. There seemed to be lots of sort of walking related things that were popping up and people painting stones and leaving that's been a big thing in the UK I don't know if I've seen that anywhere else have you, have you seen that Emma yeah um, rock stuff. little yeah what's where did that come from is it like NHS um, rainbows but also just loads of stones with interesting little paintings on them hidden places for you to find and um and Burnt Island the next town down from where I live 
they uh, so some artists have been like wrapping little pieces of art and leaving them on the beach for people to find. So it's like this is a gift for you. It's a little surprise in the world, which I thought was really nice. It's got it has kind of brought out some some nice characteristics in people. This this terrible situation. I like leaving things sort of incongruous things that aren't expected to be somewhere like along a little walk I live on uh, next to so the other day I was doing a talk on permission to play in fact and I thought um, quite a lot of my work will focus on whether I can move a shipping container or not into a space and I forget sometimes just to give myself license to do silly little daft things that please me and so I thought well I'm doing this talk and it isn't really about everybody getting a shipping container it's kind of about the little things people can do daily if they wish to to kind of give themselves a smile or others and so I thought well I'll go and um, do some chalking somewhere because chalking is one of the simplest things you can do if you want to maybe invite someone to play or to look at the world differently but I also took this kind of um, unicorn that my son had painted and it's like a, a papier-mâché unicorn and I'd forgotten I'd sort of just kept it under my arm whilst I was focusing on the chalk but somebody look, kind of looked at me like I was taking my unicorn from the wall. <laughs> I just thought actually that gives me fun because it's that sense of like I'm probably like a little bit unhinged for people who don't know me <laughs> well I kind of like the idea that I took a unicorn and a piece of chalk for a walk as well so and then I leave them in places and see if they're there when I go back. And quite often they're just sort of, I just took a few metres away. But nobody picks them up or takes them. And I'm always a bit like, what might it take for them to feel that they can take the unicorn or the chalk or what have you? I think it's a hope thing as well, isn't it? That someone else will pick up the object and find some fun in it or some play. Or And how much instruction do you need to give as well as that sense of... Do I need Wasn't to there have a... also a like a robot or something? Like I remember this this art project or something where someone was leaving I don't know oh there's a robot there was a robot that um asked people to take it somewhere yeah that's yeah I forget what it was called but yes and and everybody did it I don't think anybody kicked it over or uh, stole it or anything and it just kind of it was trying to get home or something and everybody turned it the right way to yeah it was very cute um but yeah it it was kind of a life-affirming thing I suppose it depends where you are. Some some parts of the, the world, it might be more difficult to make that work. But do you experiment sorry. though, isn't it? That sense of like, even in places which you think will be hostile, I think there's a sort of triumph of hope over, over yeah. kind of cynicism maybe. Yeah. And so um, like robots are a really good example of like, actually, I think most people are genuinely good natured. And so there was a thing called Blabdroid as well. I don't know if you remember Blabdroid, but that was a small robot that um, people would have. It would ask in a very childlike voice, when were you most happy? And people would take it sort of on its own to like a quiet corner. There was a whole documentary made of their answers. And it would ask really profound questions in a sort of voice of a 10-year-old child. <laughs> and people would confess all sorts of things to it because it was a... Um, an intermediary that you might say something to that you might not say to a person you know and so I, I love that whole thing of like people would trust it they trusted this robot to tell it if things like a confession almost and then if you, and then yeah. it got recorded and put somewhere on the internet <laughs> I think I think they did it with all permissions and things okay. so it's called Blabdroid if you mm-hmm. want to go looking for that one but it, those are sort of games aren't they there are games in our sort of lives of unexpected things that we're not 
generally used to doing and how do we create or design experiences that put trust into places and you know not surveillance let's say but just trust people that they'll end up understanding the intent of what you're creating playfully mm-hmm. but you don't get to see it always so that's the thing I find hard is like I'd like to see what happens mm, yes <laughs> maybe we'll see more of that sort of um artistic movements about trust and slightly subversive playfulness Emma and I have talked quite a lot about how trust is sort of the last most extreme subversive thing you can do is to trust someone in this mm. in this world especially in the sort of urban environment and in the world of covid it's like yeah i trust i trust you that you've had a jab or i trust you that you're going to wear your mask or you're not whatever and it feels really extreme now to do that and it used to be so it feels like surely there was a time when it wasn't really extreme just to trust someone but um but it's yeah it's become a very precious thing and um yeah. maybe that will inspire some some work that's some some art and creativity around that and we'll get another wave of this we noticed that you've been awarded indicate game changer Mm, yes that's very exciting isn't it well done Thank you. That was in 2020. Yes, it was very nice because when you do all this work, normally it feels, I mean, it's rewarding in a way, but it doesn't make any money, basically. You know, it's it's, uh, it's culture, it's art, it's like all these things, but it's, um, yes. Uh, and then, so the only thing that it's making it worth, I guess, is, or the only thing, that, some of the things that make it worth is, you know, seeing what you're asking before, like, where do you get your joy from? And that's like bringing the people together and then have them being excited about the things that they're doing or uh, meeting the new people and getting new collaborations and stuff like that. But um, that also doesn't always get back to you, right? So, and then sometimes it feels like all the work you do is kind of invisible, um, also because my work is basically all over the place like I do so many different things in many different places I don't know how to market myself I guess in a way like a brand or whatever <laughs> like I, social media I hardly use so like, and yeah so how do you get the word out that you're there um, and so this was in a way to feel like appreciation for the work that I've been doing and that it's been seen so that's that's really nice to have that I guess it's difficult to know how people are perceiving what you do Mm. but if I look at your body of work my initial kind of impression is oh my god that sounds so exciting (laughs) you know so I suppose we don't always think about how financially remunerate it is (laughs) when you sort of think that you're sort of a cutting edge really that what's it like to be a game changer in that world (laughs) I, well, I don't know it feels like, yeah so the vanguard or whatever it feels like yeah doing stuff and then five years later it's it's, it's a it's a thing or something it's um and so so back in the day I always felt a little bit upset like yeah I've been doing this like <laughs> 10 years ago I did this and now people get 
credit for whatever and something. So then it felt like, ah, oh. um, I try to to be more, um, can you say that? More calm about that. <laughs> Accepting, I suppose. Accepting, yes. yeah. I mean, there's many people that have been doing stuff and then uh, other people pick up on that and then build on it. It's nice to be recognized in, in a way for for that but um yeah so I guess I always try and look for new things and not I don't actually try to look necessarily for new new things but it just comes along the way or something that I see and I I watch a lot of media <laughs> like like all the seas all the series and shows and I mean anime and and just the tv shows on whatever netflix amazon disney call them all do them all <laughs> so i see a lot of things youtube i rediscovered youtube <laughs> now and i'm like oh bullet journaling is a thing wow <laughs> and that's been a thing for quite some time and I, so I'm not in vanguard for that but i'm like <laughs> how can i use this maybe for something in uh, my practice or um you know get people excited about that so what was also nice for a maze last year is that it came online and that we could experiment with some formats so this is why like uh i also wanted to have this little of the sense of what people were doing during this pandemic so and i felt like okay plants is a thing so i still want to do something with plants like growing plants i was like how can i put this somewhere <laughs> and then cooking of course I know that people in in games like uh, game developers are into cooking and baking so it's like how can I incorporate that into my into the festival some way so we decided to do the maze live cooking shows where people from around the world like a couple of them game de- developers or artists they would like cook uh, a favorite meal that like vegetarian meal that they enjoy from their um, yeah, ideally from their part of the world, and then we would interview them right about their practice. And so it was this casual. Uh, that's what I also like this, the casualness of things. So I don't want to be super ofic- official with everything. I want to be a yeah to have conversation and have people feel comfortable with each other. So that's what I also enjoy. So this was a, also in a way like the cooking, you know, they feel comfortable cooking and then talking and chatting and I'll be there. Someone else will be there chatting with them. And, and we also did like a zine, uh, you know, these chain, chain letters that you had, that you had in the back in the day where you could just, yeah, someone would write something and then someone else would continue it and you would send it to the other person. So it's like, okay, zines are this beautiful thing and I just there's a zine maker by Natalie Lawhead and I really would love for that the tool also to spread some way so I uh, got people in different continents like Australia and South America and uh, Korea um, to send them like a little assignment hey uh, this is the theme this is the tool uh, can you make something with that and then send it to another person in your network or your friends? And I was really curious where that would end up, basically. Would it all come back to the same person? Like, because I send it out to different continents, would it all come back to the same person? <laughs> like, is everyone connected in this? Or will they end up somewhere completely, completely different? And then for the South Korea, 
it stayed in South Korea. For Australia, I think it went to, where did it go? Also in Australia, but then like I sent something to Canada, but that was actually a European person. So that got sent to the Netherlands. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> so it stayed a little bit in their own. So, but that was for me, it was also kind of like a little research project that I got to do, right? So like, let's see where I end up. And then people made these beautiful scene pages. And I thought, I said, it could be anything. It could be po poetry. It could be something that you ate and you want to share that in some way. Or it could be a video game, a game that you want people to play uh, and put that in there. So, and then we had this virtual space for Amaze, the Amaze space for last year's festival. And we put the little the zines also in there for as an exhibition and i think we also had like the ma space would be open also after the festival so uh, people can have little exhibitions in that in that space so we also had a, a zine collection there for a little bit um so people could still you know see what people made and a bit of how it felt to be in the pandemic but also connecting with people somehow so yeah, these, those things do get me excited. And so I always try to find new ways to get a little bit playfulness, but also connections in there. I love the way that comfort and making people feel comfortable is part of your thought process and designing of things as well. So like, how can you create a sort of environment where people can relax and be, you know, comfortable to be not just the label that they're given as well. So like games designers, cooking, or that thing where you sort of assemble people who might not have met. So it's assemblage, isn't it? Or bricolage, as I've heard it called. Of, mm. You know, your wide, open exploration of everything and then thinking what happens if I add this and this to create a new you know a new thing or new connections for people I love that I think it's brilliant I still have a url that I I bought in 2009 or something called it's like hidden stories because I was into the whole game development scene in the Netherlands and I was like but there's many people that have different things beside that they are game developers right and I was like I want to make maybe evenings or something where they can share the other side of them. So some are maybe journalists, but they also make music, right? Or some are making audio, but they're also really good at cooking or comic st um, stand-up comedy or, um, you know, all of crocheting or whatever, <laughs> like all of that. Like, how can we, how can I make that into an evening? Yeah, I had that idea in 2009. I still have the URL. <laughs> But I haven't done anything with it. So there's also a lot of things that are popping up in my mind and I never get, get to it. Um, uh, but I feel still feel like, oh, that's still a nice idea to have. Um, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Art of Fury, the podcast. We really hope you're enjoying it. If so, please go to iTunes and give us a quick rating and review on there. It helps other people to find us.
Remember, you can find us on Twitter as well. We are at Art of Fury Pod on there, so please come and join the conversation. The music you've been listening to throughout this episode is from The Longest Road on Earth, which is a Raw Fury game, and the composer and performer in the music is Bea. See you next time. create what we can create